Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. I want to uh, visit with you a little bit regarding the Lord's shepherding. And when we say Yahweh is my shepherd or Jehovah Ra'ah or Yahweh Ra'ah, what we're trying to say is, is God involved in my life or not? And we find this question among people all the time. Does God know me? Does He have good intentions for me? Does He want to lead my life? And for David, the answer was obviously yes. And I believe that answer has to also become yes for you and I. And I want to visit with you a little bit regarding this shepherding, leader, pastoral aspect of God, because this is, this is one of the sweetest aspects of God among many, is that a pastor, a shepherd, he's so engaged in the leading of his sheep. And he is protective as much as he is predictive where we should go. So that shepherd walks with the sheep and, and, and sleeps with the sheep and he's intimately engaged with those animals because <laughs> uh, sheep is dumb and um, naive and vulnerable. And it's, it's an amazing picture of you and I in our humanity. And so that shepherd will protect and guide and lead and he will provide. And I marvel at how many of us um, believe in God. There is a God. But when it comes to his shepherding in our lives, He's actual providing and He's leading and He's speaking and He's teaching and He's unveiling and He's making me rest and He's giving me abundance. Very few of us have that experience. And I want to tackle that a little bit. Why do we not have the experience of God as my pastor? It's almost as though we say, God is my Savior. Thank you. But for my journey on this earth, it's almost as though we act as though there is no God. So I want to tackle that issue. We've already spoken just a little bit how Psalm 23 uh, in a way encapsulates the pastor's heart of God and how every phrase in Psalm 23 is, is a description of his intention regarding me. No wonder it's the vast majority of people's favorite psalm. It's so tender, it's so kind, it, it seems like God is so intimate and so engaged 
on your notes there, I gave you just a couple of ideas how the psalm reflects the heart of God. He provides and He works on my behalf and God wants to refresh me and rejuvenate me and like He's my spa. God wants to heal me. We will talk about the healing heart of God tomorrow. God wants to give me directions and He's like the ultimate GPS uh, guidance system. Turn left, turn right, left turn coming three quarters of a mile down the road. And, and God actually is that. He uh, wants to be present with me and protective and powerful. And He's tender hearted to me as, as I pick it up there in Psalm 23. Um, he, he feasts me in the presence of my enemies. That is, He exonerates me and, and, and He sets me apart with anointing oil to be a, a priest and a kingly figure, a person of authority, which is what that oil intonates. Um, he, he gives me abundance and he, He's lavish and extravagant and He has good intentions. And then my favorite, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He doesn't mind my company. He invites me in, kind of like the father for that prodigal. Everybody, come on. Put a robe on this boy. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet and slaughter the fatted calf. It's like God invites you into the house again. So I just get goose chills even thinking about the depth of God's heart that is portrayed by David's little song that he's writing here. It's just marvelous. But then I want to make a quick point here. Number two is that Christ really is the embodiment of the shepherding heart of God. So David had an experience of, of, of God showing up very mystically in his life. And God by the Spirit in a very invisible way arranging things for him. And he had that experience. But then one day God actually climbed into humanity and God became a man and lived among us and that man that Jewish man Jesus was the embodiment of God that means he made God visible that man Yeshua as we say in Hebrew made God tangible it's as though you could now touch God yet you touch flesh but yet what Jesus represented and what He displayed and what He embodied or expressed, as we would say, was just God. So when Jesus spoke, He spoke Aramaic. But what the Spirit on His Aramaic speaking was the Spirit of God. When Jesus acted, He acted very normally. He made a little bit of wine and He made a little bit of bread. But in that action... God's heart was put on display. God wants to feast. God wants to provide. When Jesus, for instance, would heal somebody, God was manifested as, as good and, and willing and able and intentional through Jesus the Christ. But Jesus then also comes along and He says, I, in John 10, am the good shepherd. And Christ the man would make statements that people are kind of like sheep without a shepherd. And he, he nails the issue of his generation. Because Judaism at that time were not under the shepherding of God, 
under the leadership of God. They, they now lived a life permanently under the leadership of the law. That is under the commandments and under the ordinances and under the sacrificial system and in the temple. And so no longer did they hear the voice of God or discern the heart of God or the intimate acquaintance of God. They, they were just sort of going through the motions. So here comes Jesus again. This is God in the flesh to show people, hey, don't just get caught up in all the rituals. Have a walk with me. Let's go sit on the countryside and talk. And let's get down to the guts of the matter. Jesus scrutinized his age for sort of being much ado about nothing. And he said, hey, uh, I want to be a shepherd to you. And I want to feed you again. And I want to tell you what the truth really is again. And what love is really all about again. He would say there in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, he would say, I came to you and I longed to just put you under my wings. Like a, like a hen would take her chicks and then just put the chicks under the wings and guard them and protect them and feed them. And yes, he uses a chicken example, but the spirit of what he's communicating is, I want to be a shepherd to you. Like Psalm 23. I want to provide for you spiritual riches again. And Jesus looked out over Jerusalem. He says, oh, I've longed to just gather you, but you would not. So God has always been a shepherd, and through His Spirit, he's, he's been shepherding a man by the name of David, and He's been longing to shepherd His people. But then again, the people no longer wanted to hear the Spirit. Their hearts had grown cold and calloused, and their ears are heavy. They want to hear everything and anything but the pastor, the real shepherd. So God says, okay, um, we've got to change technique here. Okay, that's it. I'll climb out of eternity into time and I'll become a man and then I'll be kind to them and I will give women uh, honor again where they don't get honor and I'll show mercy because in that culture you don't show mercy. The law says you stone. And God is like, that's not what I want. And by His Spirit, I'm sure He's working, He's working, nobody's listening. So he's like, okay, I'll come into skin and come show them what mercy is and what forgiveness is. And then how oh, He just wants to feed and heal. Everything you read in the Gospels that Christ does, His teaching, His leading, His feeding, etc., etc., it's all a reflection of God's pastoral heart. But then the people begin to reject him because in God's pastoring heart, he breaks some of the protocols. Because they're so in the system. They're so in the prescribed, predictable, controllable religious system that when Christ comes and even on the Sabbath wants to exhibit God's healing heart, they want to kill him for making a blind man and a man with a withered hand well on the Sabbath. They actually want to kill him. Because it is in contradiction with their standards. And, and I think the same is probably true for you and I. You and I live in a very rigid system called culture. 
Even worse, many of us live in a Christian culture, which is very much akin to Judaism's culture in Jesus' day. They lived a life of the worship of God. Then God actually comes and wants to hang out with them and they crucify Him. Why? Because He does not fit the mold. He's pastoring. It's not quite what we expect. So you and I live in a very similar situation where we, we know how to live this Christian life and we've been taught and trained and we think we know how to do this. But then when the Spirit of God comes and He ministers to us now through the Spirit of Jesus Christ, and he says, hey, let's go left here. I want to feed you this way. Let's not do it this way. Then we all buck and we resist, kind of like a goat. We would say, but Lord, no Lord, but, but, no, no. And we get our butt involved and it, it just, it's, ugh. it's a mess. So the point I just want to make here is that God the Father is a shepherd. Obviously, God the Spirit is a shepherd and Christ is the greatest embodiment of God's pastoral heart. We distrust God's shepherding to be in our best interest when evidence manifests the opposite. We distrust God's shepherding heart, His leading, to be in my best interest when the evidence is contrary. This is a problem of the natural man. So let me repeat one more time. The natural man is composed of two portions, a body and a soul. And the natural man operates in the natural. And these are the two tools God has given you to operate in this realm. But what happens is that more often than not, things don't add up in your natural life. And then you, you weigh it, you scrutinize it, and you read maybe what the Word says. Wow, look at this breakthrough. But then with my natural eye, I look at my circumstance, these ugly people around me. And then I say, well, obviously God is not here. Or obviously He can't bring breakthrough here. Why? Because the things that I'm reading is an event in that history over there. And so we, we distrust God. We're skeptical. I'm using all the same words to say exactly the same thing, really. But what we do is we consult our circumstance. And then we conclude God is not involved. God is absent. To experience the involvement of God the shepherding of God, the closeness of God. You have to tap into a portion of your being that's deeper than your body. You have to tap in deeper than your logic to experience the aspect of God's eternal being. <laughs> you need to touch your spirit. So in this shepherding thing, if you want to experience God as shepherd, 
you have to transcend the natural realm and touch God in another dimension. And how do you do that? Through the Spirit within you. Ezekiel 36. Notice carefully a prophetic description here in the Old Testament. It's also in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, and it's repeated in the book of Hebrews as, as this covenant that God will make with us. Verse 24. Oh, let's just start in verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, this was an actual prophecy to people in exile, but the prophetic implication is worldwide. Nevertheless, say to the house of Israel, this is what Yahweh says, I am not doing this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations will know that I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, declares the Lord God, when I am sanctified in your sight. I will take you from the nations, and I will gather you from all of the countries, and I will bring you into your own land. Listen carefully. <laughs> this is a prophecy to the Jewish people that were in exile. Big story. That's for another day. So he says, currently you're in a foreign land. But I'm going to take you and rescue you and take you back to where you belong. Your homeland, which is Judea, with Jerusalem as, as its capital. So that's, that's the natural picture here. We might even put a prophetic layer over it. We are in sin. We're enslaved. We're in Egypt, so to speak. We are in the natural realm, living in the flesh. We're carnal, doing our own thing. We're in exile, bottom line. God says here, if you touch the Spirit, I don't want you in exile. I don't want you living because you're, you're profaning me. My name is profaned. That is, it's not holy. So I want to scoop you up, Francois, and I want to move you over to another realm, the realm of the Spirit. So that realm of the Spirit is a new home, a new territory. And of course, the whole New Testament is we live now in the realm of the Spirit. Jesus would say, if you're born of the flesh, you belong to the realm of the flesh, the natural man. But if you're born of the Spirit of God, you belong to another realm. It's, it's like God saying, I want to bring you out and into a new dimension. And so as a Christian, as a son and daughter of God, what is the new birth? But transitioning me from the realm of the here and the now and doing something in me that brings me to the spirit realm. And so now I need to learn to live in this new realm. But now notice what God says here. It gets so good. Oh, man. I'm going to bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water upon you. I will wash you. And you will be clean from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. I will cleanse you. 
If you read through the Old Testament and look for the word idolatry and idols, you will find it is the uh, theme of the Old Testament, why they were in exile so many times. Idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. Well, here it is again. Look at verse 26. So what does God do now to get you ready for this new realm? He just stated his heart. I want to move you from this exile into homeland, home base. So what does God have to do? Here it is in verse 26. I will give you a new heart. That is, I will give you a new capacity to love me. I will give you a new kind of emotion, a new passion. Something will, will change in your inner man that wants to live in the new land. He says, I will also give you a new spirit. So to equip you for this new land that you're going to return to, <laughs> Judea in context, the, the, the realm of eternity, in you and I's prophetic uh, snapshot here, what you need to enter that new realm is a heart that has changed and a spirit that is regenerated. Amen! My body is not good enough to enter that realm. My fallen emotion and heart is not good enough. So God begins to do a change. But one of the things that He gives to you is a spirit. So He says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will take away the heart of stone from you. And that really encapsulates the Jewish people. They are so stuck in the letter of the law. They're so stuck in the commandments, in the stone, in the here, in the now, in the natural. And God is like, oh, I want to transcend you to another realm, so to speak. I will uh, take away the heart of stone. I'll give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. I can go on and on and on with the prophetic overtones and metaphors here, but suffice it just to say, if you want to experience God's leading and intimacy and, and personalness in your life, then go on a journey with the indwelling Holy Spirit that gave you a new spirit and a new heart and Get people around you that don't teach you how to live in the flesh, step one, step two. Or try to just be all intellectual, point A, point B. Get around people who can teach you how to walk in the Spirit. And that transaction between you and God will now be spiritual. And so, yeah, why don't we trust this shepherd? We're too much in the flesh. Why don't we trust the shepherd? We are too much in the logic, in the reason, in the analysis. We're not enough in a heart of love and in a spirit mingled with the Holy Spirit. The guy who designed this thing is, is, is closer to the heart of God than I, than I think we've ever considered. Whoever designed this little thing did a fantastic job. There are several components in this little device that I want to bring to your attention. First of all, this device has an outside skin, and this is a white device. 
You also get black devices. You get brown devices. You get yellow devices. And etc. etc. I think you know what I'm saying. Okay, I'm talking in code here just to see who <laughs> can follow with me. But this thing is actually meant to express color, movie, sound, music, etc., etc. So there is this one's expression. If we turn on another device, it may have a red and yellow. And, and everybody has a home screen. And that's your personality. It's diverse, it's beautiful. And, and, and each device sings different songs and has movies and has this and that and books and etc. Uh, really, the shell is not what it's about. It's what's inside reflecting and displaying. And, and that's your body, and that's your soul, in a way, in this little computer. But there's more. Oh, there's so much more. Deep in this device, and I don't know where, there is a chip that can take a hold of the invisible internet in this room. They put a chip in here that can take a hold of an invisible signal and pull into this device a download from that signal, process it a little bit, and spit it out in a song, in a color. Wow. That chip is also within you. You have a body. You have a soul, and deep within you, if you're born of the Spirit of God, there is a capacity to reach into the invisible realm and download reality, data, if you will. So if a, if a man can design a chip that reads the invisible world, that chip is also within this receiver over here. Currently, in this room is a radio airwave at a certain frequency. And it's right here in this room, but I can't see it with my natural eye. I can't hear it with my natural ear. It doesn't make sense how Garth Brooks can be singing in this room right now. So what the folk then did is they put into this receiver a frequency adjuster. So many of us, we come like, oh, there's no Garth Brooks in this room. No, you're an idiot. He's here. No, show me. I can't show him to you. There has to be a, a dialing in within you to hear Garth Brooks. Adele is singing to you right now. Except you can't hear, but she's, she's ever present. In a way, God is here. God is here as shepherd, as Lord, as pastor. He's here as wisdom. But God has given you a chip within you called your spirit. So why don't we experience God saying left? Let's go right, my child. Uh, don't do this. Go here. Why don't we have a download of God's wisdom and light and instruction? Because you have not learned how to dial in 
this chip within you that corresponds to an invisible realm. All you do is dial in this. Well, God can't be here because I can't see Him. God can't be here. And all we do day and night, and even many of us, all we read is trying to dial in the logic and the intellect, and it's not working. Hence, you don't experience God's intimate, close, leading, and shepherd. Why don't we experience God's shepherding? Well, we're skeptical. Why are you skeptical? Because you're not on your spirit. You distrust. Why, why do you distrust? Because <laughs> you're too much in your will and your emotion and your logic. We're uncertain of how all things work together for good. Because we want to control and we want to predict. And so we're not dialing in to the spirit realm. And so as a result, we do not believe that God can speak to me. God can shepherd me. God is, is downloading into me what I need. Quickly, a few more thoughts. How do I then begin to trust God's shepherding? Number one, stop interrogating God and His intentions through your current situation. I find this to be the issue with all Christians. We... We put God on trial because we tally our natural circumstances. Then we interrogate God by how we judge the natural. And we, we then we put God on trial. So I want to say to you, if you want to begin to sort of experience God a little bit, rather say, Lord, um, what's on your heart? And, and you will hear Him if, if, you, if, if you touch your heart, which is an issue of love, if you stay in love with God. And if you touch your spirit, which is that frequency adjuster. So watch out, guys, as you walk with God in the years to come. A lot of things are not going to work out for you. A lot of things are going to be difficult. Uh, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Well, how can you experience good cheer unless you transcend what you see and hear in the natural? So get over interrogating God and, and just welcome Him and inquire of God and, and watch how He will become shepherd. Number two, hold your perception of green pastures very loosely before God. It may not be what you imagine. Um, taking it from the psalm, Psalm 23, He leads me besides uh, still waters and into green pastures, etc., etc. Well, stop scripting what you think green pastures are. And stop judging God's intentions by what you think ought to happen. So hold your perception of God's leading and His speaking and how we should do it. Hold all those things very loosely and just say, God, you be God. I'm going to continue to be human. God may provide for you. God may bring victory. God may shepherd you in a way you don't expect. And that expectation is really an issue of your uh, self-scripting ego that says, yeah, I'm going to go to this college. I'm going to do this, then that. So you script. 
and you have your own motives and your own ambitions and your own grasping, then shepherd God wants to come and say, hey, let's actually go left over here. And then you go, oh, no, I can't have this. I've already scripted life. We, we see this, guys, every semester at Legacy. There are people, that the Holy Ghost is like jumping on their conscience, go to Legacy or go to this or that or, or give up this, whatever. And then people are like, I can't because I've already scripted my life. So Lord, would you please come bless my will, my life. And then they never experience the shepherding of God. And they wonder like, what else can I do? So stop scripting, stop imagining and do the responsible and just do what the shepherd tells you. And just do the last thing God has told you. Don't look for a new revelation if you didn't obey the previous revelation, you doofus. Why would God give you second grade instruction if you didn't pass first grade? So just do what He told you and, and watch. It will work together for good in time. Don't judge your life based upon the now. Uh, Finney of Ignoramia says, Our offense with God is proportionate to our unrealistic expectations of Him. This happens to me all the time. I script what I think God should do, how He should speak, when He should speak, how the victory should come, how He should lead. And, and I build up this false expectation, this illusionary, self-induced, idolatrous, imaginary world that God has to come and bless. And then He just doesn't. And then, of course, I get mad at God and belligerent and... I get all better and I re-script my theology of God and I reinterpret the Bible. Number three, um, as God leads you and God shepherds you, I just wanted to bring a balancing word. Don't give in to apathy and laziness. Well, if God wants me to do something or lead me, then He'll just do it. So I'll just sit and be a doofus. No. We're working with the shepherd. He's leading, okay? So he's leading, I'm walking, like Abraham. God's leading, I'm walking. I just want to continue this weekend to say, partner with God. Don't get ahead of God with presumptuous uh, living. Don't get behind, apathetic, all lazy. God's not going to bless you being ahead or behind. He blesses his buddy who walks with him. So don't get ahead of God. Don't get behind. Avoid those extremes. And then lastly, um, uh, four quick points. Well, how do you know that God's leading you? This is not a lesson in discerning the will of God. That's a lesson for itself. Um, but I just wanted to throw a quick few points out. How do you know God's your shepherd? How do you know He's involved, engaged? Four quick points. Number one, you will experience life and peace in the Spirit. You'll experience life and peace. And with life, there's energy, there's excitement, there's optimism, there's endurance. And peace is just, there's rest, there's no anxiety, no striving. Then you know you're being led of God. There's this experience of life, excitement, and peace, rest. So just notice your inner spirit man. 
Is it dialed into the frequency of life and the frequency of peace? Then you know that's of God. Trust it. Explore a little bit. And of course, God's not going to give you all the details up front. It's a journey of faith. But in that journey, you'll experience excitement, optimism, and peace. Number two, how do I know I'm led by God? How do I know my shepherd is, is doing things in my life and speaking and leading? Well, how do I know that? Well, he leads you through his word. He'll speak through the ink on paper. Get into the Word. Enjoy the Bible a little bit. Go buy you a new Bible. Stop buying another Starbucks coffee. It's not even good. <laughs> Take that $5 and go buy you a Bible at the thrift store and read it. Scratch it up. Tear it apart. Just stop being lazy in the old-fashioned Bible. Don't get into Bible wars as to which one is the better. And Just enjoy the Word. He leads and He does speak and get around people who actually know the Word of God. It will do you good. I find it interesting that more Christians, and I'm generalizing here, we have more revelation from the Internet than we do from the other realm. The Internet belongs to this realm, people. And I watch how Christians rise and fall based on what the Internet says. And by internet, I mean social media and the latest, greatest this and the latest explanation and all of these rabbit trails. And I watch the Lord's people that I have to work with come here more confused because of the internet than a chameleon in a box of M&Ms. <laughs> and I tell people, get off your phone. Wrestle through the problem. Don't just Google it. And maybe the Google has the answer, but if you just get the answer, but you don't have the experience of walking with God and interacting with God constantly, you will never own the answer. The answer will not become your constitution, your being, your expression. Is everybody with me? So maybe the Internet has a right answer. I doubt it. I really doubt it. But should it have the right answer, the fact that you are not engaging God in the journey disqualifies you from that truth becoming incarnational reality in your being. If you don't wrestle with God, that is, walk with God, through the process He has ordained, but you take the shortcut for the Google, for the leading of God, that truth, even if it is the truth, will never become flesh in you, real in you, experiential. So, the Google is good insofar as getting directions to drive to Grandma's house. I do not trust the Google. And by the Google, I just mean the opinions and conjectures and philosophies of man that is represented by the word Google. God will lead through the counsel of people. I told you yesterday, one of the things God will provide for you if you really walk with God is a community of people. Maybe a partner, 
maybe two or three, or maybe you're very blessed and you're among 10,000 people and as alone as a fish on dry land. But be it as it may, it's not really an issue of numbers. It's actually just an issue of are there people that know you and, and, and can be a part of your life? Actually, the people closest to you that, that, that walks with you, they're your pastors and you are their pastor. What is a pastor? Uh, really, a pastor is somebody who's engaged in the intricate affairs of your life. And we all have two or three pastors, um, and it's a good thing. So people, they give counsel to us. Um, the Word of God is the counsel of God. Amen. But God also speaks through people, the church, the body of Christ. So that's important then that you somehow get acquainted with a group of people. Don't just hop around, but, but really just learn to live life with folk. And if you notice your notes there, if everybody look up here again. Be careful of soothsayers. Now I know that term has the connotation of witchery and sacramancy. But by soothsaying, I just want to be tongue-in-cheek saying, occasionally get people in your life that might just disagree with you and not soothe you and tickle you with what you want to hear. Because they may just be able to speak for God at times in your life. God speaks through the Word and He speaks through circumstances. This is not a lesson on all the ways God speaks, but just He does speak through people, but occasionally um, we are very selective in who we hear, and we love soothsayers instead of truthsayers. And so just search your heart a little bit because, yeah, I don't like when somebody opposes me. I don't like when somebody uh, contradicts me and stuff. Why? Because I'm self-righteous. But get people in your life that can make you angry and afterwards you still feel good about it. Get people who can tell you the truth to your face and not hold it against you. That's practically your mama. Okay. Lastly, God's leading obviously will be reflected in the culminative fruit of your life. The cumulative fruit of your life is really an indicative whether God is involved or actually not. So look back a little bit, just um, what is the fruit of your life? And there is a great little indication where you can sort of judge a little bit, God's your shepherd or you've been the rebel. What is the cumulative fruit, not just today, when you had a goose bump, oh, God is so good. But what's the cumulative fruit? Is it in the paths of righteousness or in the paths of destruction, worldliness, etc., etc.? And for that, you just have to be honest with your heart a little bit and judge your own self a little bit and uh, get a couple of people in your life say, hey, what is your observation of the cumulative fruit of my life? Am I really in the kingdom, in this new land with God? Or am I still in exile? And let a couple of people say, hey, you, the cumulative fruit is not looking right. 
I want to close with this little um, word of caution. I intentionally did not put in, you will know the leading of God circumstantially like other preachers do. It's a very common preachery thing, how to know the will of God. Well, you know the will of God from the Word of God. Well, you know the will of God from the speaking of God. Well, you know the Word of God when this circumstance lines up with that one and there's a new moon and Jupiter and Saturn are in conjunction with Mars and Venus going through the Virgo. Then you know you're being led by God. He is speaking. Okay. I don't buy that for one minute. Why? Because in my experience, I've discovered something. So I want to give this caution to you. You will not be able to interpret the leading of God perfectly in the particular decade in which you live. What God does in your 20s, you will not understand probably until you're in your 30s. If that. There's things God is doing in our 20s that are so unorthodox and unscripted that at times it doesn't feel like God is leading. And if you were just to look at that decade, you was like, where is God? You won't understand the leading of God perfectly in the decade in which you live. That's just my opinion. That's my experience. In your 30s, you'll look back and go, oh my goodness, that was the leading of God. That was the shepherding of God. And once you're in your 40s, you're like, oh my glory, look how things have added up, have come together. See, every decade removed from the current decade you're in, you will understand the leading of God more. So a lot of us, we would say, oh, when this circumstance add up and, and this and that, really? Very few of us are spiritual enough to understand the age in which we live. It takes a journey and often years and years to look back. That's why God gave me that mom, that dad. I grew up in that city. Right now, we're cursing God with the knowledge we have. Why? Because we see a certain way and we perceive and, and our heart is hardened and we're tallying things. We're like, could this be God? And so that's why we ask the question, why did God... Very few of us can really judge God's involvement very well, in my opinion, in the decade in which you live. You're a very blessed man if you can understand that pulling weeds in a garden actually is en route to a school. Throwing newspapers is en route to being a lawyer that rescues children. That faithfulness here is the stepping stone to usefulness there. See, most of you judge God's intentions, God's goodness, His shepherding, His leading based upon this, what you can see, and you're always going to blow it. Unless in spirit you understand that pulling weeds today and serving ice cream at McDonald's today and blowing a driveway today and raking this and washing that dish, only the spirit man can discern that all of this it's a part of God's leading. Is everybody with me? So, 
yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll discern the leading of God in a lot of different ways, but I'm not so sure circumstantially you, you'll figure it out. We're not that smart in the natural. It takes a couple of decades. Amen.